Thanks for joining us for another intriguing edition of the Stack Pack. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. Not much, not much. Oh yeah, stacking a pack across the U.S. Uh, where are you this week? I'm in Wichita, Kansas tonight. Or I should say this day. You're, oh yeah, Wich- Wichita. Wichita, full of witches. <laughs> um, um, and uh, where are you, Eli? I'm still here in Dallas. Actually, I was over by you. We get to hang out and party, but we didn't. Uh, we didn't get to record. Yeah, sadly. yeah. We hung out this weekend. You came by to, you came down to the desert to visit me. Yeah, we did. Had way too much tequila. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that was fun, but wow, dude. Like, I don't really, I'm not a good shot taker. I'm not very, like, uh, suave. <laughs> Man, oh. you, were, you were downing them. Yeah, I mean, I had to. I mean, when in. Like if it was, when like if town, it was going it was, out of style. It was celebratory, definitely. Yeah, I was excited yeah, that uh, you were there. Dude, we had so much fun. It was a lot of fun. Can't <laughs> wait to do good. it again. And hopefully next time Dan can be there. Yeah, yeah. We've only actually been in the same room. We, we've only actually been in the same room once recording an episode. I got to see, for those who uh, don't know, I got to finally see the room that uh, Dan and David recorded when they were together. And I got to see where I sit, where they put me on the table. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eli's like, that's where I sit. The, that's that's um, my spot. Nice. All right. And I'm here in El Paso. What's up? The, uh, my, pack, my, stack, my fellow stack packers. Eli and Dan, and I'm David. What's up, guys? Um, let's uh, jump right into this because there's so much to get to. Lots of carols. Lots of carols. Couple patties. <laughs> and uh, and a couple of uh, random shootings. Random shootings. Carols, carols and patties. I, I mix them together. Peril. Perils. Lots of peril, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first case is uh, wanted. Won't it, dead or alive? We haven't done that joke yet. Weird. We'll call. Yeah, I know, joke, right? That is weird. <laughs> uh, we'll call. We'll call this Carol. Can we call this Carol? Carol, not Carol. Yeah, let's call. Let's call this one not not Carol because <laughs> because Robert Stack starts a story with we'll call her Carol because yeah, yeah, this is crazy. She has every right to hide her identity after this craziness. Um. So Carol quotation marks around that was a uh, social worker in Putnam Connecticut um, and she helped mentally ill patients this happened uh, Monday August 22nd 1988 on her way to work she used to take a nice cool shorter way shortcut um, uh, on the on an eastern Connecticut road they had a name for the road I didn't get it down but it's just pretty much a shortcut through the countryside why wouldn't she take I don't know shortcut? if they use the same road or not that like an actual road that she was stopped on or that the incident happened but i want to it reminded me of this road i used to take in kansas city when i lived there it it looked just like it It used to be kind of windy full of like trees not really many people like it was just literally like a road to get from a to b kind of like a uh, three billboards road like in that that award-winning film yeah like that um (laughs) just the countryside road what was the name of that movie i just saw that Three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, is the full name. Have you, it's really good, and especially for true crime people, it, it's 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 sort of like a true crime movie that has that like where the true crime is not the important thing. It's about the is family. It really it's, called, is it really called Three Billboards? I don't remember. I didn't remember what the name was. Mm-hmm. I just remember it being a really good movie. Oh, you saw it? Yeah, it's great, right? Yeah, yeah. It's totally like a 
an anti-true crime, true crime movie. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not really about, it's about this town more than the actual I'm, details of a crime, but it's, yeah. it's a really cool movie. It's just, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm kind of sad about Woody Harrelson though. <laughs> oh yeah. He's so nice in that movie. You just want to give him I a know. hug. Yeah. It's yeah. a good movie. Um, Great movie. Yeah. So she was riding down the road, looking at signs, um, looking at billboards. No, I'm just kidding. Um, she was taking her shortcut to work. And um, a black truck uh, was in front of her. It started kind of slowing down, right? And kind of like swerving erratically and doing a bunch of creepy like drunk guy moves. Yeah. Like purposely trying to, like, like obviously trying to fuck with her. Right? Definitely. You get shot for driving like that here. <laughs> I want to I want to also point out that in the reenactment, she looked rather leisurely if she was running 30 minutes late to work. Yeah, she did look like she was out for like was a just like, summer drive. Care. Like it's a Sunday, yes, Sunday drive. Yeah, just, exactly. She was just enjoying herself, man. Um, so she obviously starts worrying, 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 um, because this uh, this guy's driving all crazy and and stuff and the like. Um, and then this guy stops the truck and parks, and I guess in, in sort of the in the middle of the road to where she can't really get by. She says that he slid out of the car, and had a gun and just shot her. And took off, right? Right. This is crazy. So she she immediately uh, thinks she's dead, right? And there's rushing in her ears. She thinks it's totally over. Uh, and then and then she thinks she's paralyzed, but she's able to move her feet and kick her little footsies, kick her little shoesies off. And, and what does she do? What does she do, Dan? She kicks her little shoes off. <laughs> Which uh, seemed to both Dan and I that it was completely irrelevant. But well, cons- considered to how how condensed. And how much like good stuff they leave out of some of these cases? Yeah, I know. That's a, that's a detail they kept a, in there. Like it's like, well, we filmed it. We filmed the kicking of the shoes, the kicking off of the shoes. We filmed the kicking off got, of the shoes. You gotta fit it in there. She slumped across the seat, like Dan says. Nobody can see her. The normal driver, they just see a car, so they keep driving by yeah. her, I guess, until a utility yeah. service man drives by, and he's obviously at a higher level in a big old truck, utility truck, and he sees her. And they, he immediately gets help, and she had already lost a pint of blood on the way. She was two, in, two pints. Really? Oh shit! Yeah, that's a lot. This is when she was at the emergency room. She was semi unconscious, right? So she, she, it, I remember in the reenactment her saying that she thought she was going to die, and then she realized that she wasn't dead, and she could hear the radio, and then that's when they do the whole kicking of the shoes off, and then it says she could actually hear cars drive by. So her cars assuming her car is just sitting in the middle of the road and they just kind of like drive by. But yeah, she's like you said, she slumped over. She can't, nobody can see her. And yeah, that's when the utility driver comes up. But man, that's imagine being that helpless. Like you, you want to get up and you want to get help. Yeah. That's like terrifying. That's like that sleep paralysis kind of creepy, like, but way more pressing because you're losing blood. Mm-hmm. They're able to get some information with her, like, re- and her responses of her blinking once for yes and twice for no. They're able to kind of piece together that it's a truck, dark colored truck, and they're trying. They, you know, scour the area and try to figure out what happened. So actually, so the bullet tore through her face, and it was only two, two inches below her eye. It's crazy. And the reason she couldn't talk, I was wondering that too. I said, well, you know, she got shot in the face. Like what? above her eye or below her eye like what's wrong why couldn't she speak and they explained it they said that her carotid artery was severed which paralyzed her vocal cord 
That's crazy. Just one? How, how does that? I have no idea how that works. That's insane. Yeah, I don't know. It must have been the angle. It must have been the angle that it was shot. He, he was probably, since he was standing, he probably, he assumingly he shot, a, he was above her and shot into the car and it, you know, Just lodged like itself back there. Total randomness. And um, um, so the cops actually uh, got a witness to tell them a story about uh, a truck driving erratically in the area and just kind of uh, um, yeah. like, you know, swerving in and out of the roads, just gen- general fuckery, some like drunken redneck fun. Yeah, this dude was by himself. It doesn't say that he was with anybody. Like, So the cops are just thinking that this is like she was just the, the, la- the, the last one. Like she was just the one there. So he got out, shot her. And just took off like she, it, it had nothing to do with who she was. It was just that she was the one on the road at that time. And yeah, it, it had all been leading up and that's what they kind of, uh, I guess that's what they're alluding to. Right. Um, so three months later she's recovering, but this bullet is actually still lodged in the back of her neck and it's really close to her spine. <clears throat> I wonder if she's okay still. I wonder how she's doing. That's, that's crazy. And they said, I guess, I don't know if it's, she says it, but I don't know if it's like medical advice that she's scared to get it removed in case anything bad happened. You know, like she could like really mess herself up bad if something goes wrong. You got to take into account like when this was done, they didn't have like endoscopic surgery or robotic surgery. Mm-hmm. So right. I, was, I was thinking the same thing. Like, I'm pretty sure by now they, they probably could have gotten it out. I'm, I'm sure. This episode aired in my birth month, January of 1990. Ooh. It actually originally aired two days after your your birth. Oh, really? So it aired January seventeenth, nineteen ninety. So I could have tuned in as a two year, two day year old, <laughs> two day year, two day old, a two day old. <laughs> maybe, maybe you did. Maybe it was on while <laughs> a two day old while you were in your while you were just a little foundling in your mom's arms. A foundling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good words. That, that, that's a that's a, a stack vocab. That's a, that's a straight we, we, we stack. We need to make vocab. like we need to start making a list of just the, odd the, things that you know. The, the stackisms. Yeah. Stackisms. A stactionary. Court. Stactionary. <laughs> that's great. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of them. Yeah. So it's it's just a motiveless crime. It's like there's no uh, um, reason for it. Um, nothing ever happened. Did they ever find the guy? I don't know. I didn't look no. into this. Did Did you guys? No, they never, they, they didn't, they didn't find him. I, I, I Googled it quickly, but I, I didn't see anything. With over 300,000 black Ford trucks, like matching that era. It's just, I know, right. They're fucked, right? That sucks. Yeah. So, um, Carol, um, we don't know. And it's probably hard to find more on this case because her name is not, uh, I don't know. Maybe it is Car- now. Carol, not Carol. Not Carol is uh, <laughs> not Carol. Um, I bet you, if you looked a little bit, you could probably find her real name now. This next case is uh, it titled "The Investigators." Yeah, this is definitely new, right? Like, I don't remember ever seeing something like this. Wasn't there one before that said "The Investigators"? I don't think so. No, I don't know. Anyways, the investigators. Uh, this is a crazy, like, uh, Wormwood-esque, like, uh, imitation game right? I don't know. I haven't seen that, but you guys were saying it's like imitation game. Oh, yeah. Well, it just reminded me of the, the army intelligence kind of uh, yeah. code-breaking. Oh, dude, this is... Oh, like, code... Okay, from that aspect. Okay. This is a, this is a fucking story, guys. Um, 
This is about a lady who wants to find her dad. But uh, that's the simplest way of explaining this crazy story. Um, so May so uh, May through September of 1945 is when the, the soldiers from World War II started coming home. And one of those soldiers was uh, went by the name Lieutenant Ray Hickenbotham. Um, he was a war hero, decorated. Uh, he uh, settled at this army station outside Arlington, Virginia. And... Um, he was doing army intelligence and he was, uh, able to hang out with his wife and kids. Um, Dor- Dorothy. And this is the other Carol, Dorothy and Carol Hickenbotham. And, uh, um, she remembers it being a magical summer. She was the first summer she was a kid. It was the first summer she remembers uh, having her dad home and it was great. And, um, um, but that greatness soon turned bad. <laughs> Um, as the stack lets us know, um, there was peace in 45, but by 47, we were full on fucking frenemies or actually not at all full on enemies with Stalin and communist Russia. Um, they were our allies in in 45, but by 47, eh -eh. and, um, Ray was part of a secret army code breaking squad called, uh, magnificent seven. Just kidding. I don't know. I was. I wanted to give him a cool like, name, but I fucked up. I was like, no, that's not a thing. I was like, did they really have a name? They were. They were part of a secret army code breaking group of dudes. Operation. And um, the Cold War had officially had begun. begun. Um, thanks, Stack. Explaining it for the dum dums, which nice I appreciate actually. Reason. Yeah. Um, but that's the background of the setting. So, um, Lieutenant Ray, uh, goes back to Arlington, Virginia and, uh, basically sets up shop at a place called Vent Hills Farms Army Station, which is later absorbed into what has become the CIA and the counterintelligence, uh, world. And, uh, that's where things like start, to to kind of get shitty for him. Like uh, one of the former CIA operatives talks about, he's like, you know, you hear about this stuff and you think it's a great, a great life. But he's like, in reality, it's just, it's stressful. You just have a bunch of guys in a, in a room listening to conversations and some of it might be worth something. Some of it might not be. And that the guys were so frustrated or frustrated because they couldn't leave their, their chair. Like they would have to sit there and listen to everything that they would just get so frustrated of just sitting there. Yeah, I never and like thought these, about that. these are combat veterans that, that would just be like, "Fuck!" Like, like anybody that's worked at a do shit. anybody that's worked at a call center, probably you know, just doing this like fucking monotonous shit, like probably just listening to people like fucking talk about grocery but, lists and no, but and I think on eating another Sunday dinner and shit like that. But I bet you, yeah, it's, possibly. But he did say it could be interesting work as well. <laughs> but yeah, they were saying like it would be interesting work like when they get that tip if you're one of the lucky code breakers to get the tip and like, you know, intercept that call or that that radio call, then that's when it would I get imagine interesting. Imagine it's like listening to a podcast you care nothing about. <laughs> like just being forced like to me listen listening to two people. Me listening to like a wrestling podcast. No, it's like for like David, it's like for you you listening to a podcast about cats. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's like about it's like me listening to <laughs> about a podcast. It's it's about it's it's like me listening to a podcast about Andrew Lloyd Webber's cats, which I've made <laughs> abundantly clear on this podcast I hate. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, 
After about a year of doing this, in the, in the late summer of 1947, he's transferred to another top secret group at the Arlington Hall Intelligence Station. And he didn't tell his and wife. It, 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 yeah, it, it was it, it was a, a mission that was so top secret that he didn't tell his wife. And that's when his wife started noticing, like, he started working longer hours. His temperament was, was a lot more tense. He was always yeah. just tense and tired and just didn't want to pay attention to her or, or their child. So three weeks after... Um, Dorothy notices these changes in her husband. She decides to take a two-week trip uh, to visit her parents in uh, Long Island. And and Ray uh, just he didn't want to go. He just I guess made excuses of either either like I have to work or whatever. So uh, they go off to go visit her mom. <laughs> Carol. So while while Dorothy and Carol are in Long Island uh, visiting Dorothy's parents slash Carol's grandparents. Um, one of Dorothy's neighbors gives her a call um, saying that there's a military moving truck at the house and they're moving all of her stuff. What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> that was a funny reenactment. <laughs> Is that what she said? I don't know. Her voice was like, whoa. Something it just, like that. It took it me was out just of everything. Really just like, like I probably yeah, get everyone listening. <laughs> so, so Dorothy calls the apartment. And and discovers that Ray has gone on leave. Surprise! On leave, yeah. And the military crew is like cleaning out their apartment. Uh, two weeks after this happens, the, a moving van shows up at Dorothy's parents' home with all of their stuff. But what's really interesting about it is, in that two-week lapse, in that in those two weeks that have lapsed since her stuff being packed up and shipped, and the time they get in getting to her all of ray's items are gone like any any reference of him ever existing like she said it, it was very odd it was almost like he never existed because yeah, everything them. was like gone scrubbed yep yeah 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 there wasn't no even photos, letters or no photos, war or photos letters nothing is like he never existed so um see so, uh and then a month after that a uh, an unknown gentleman claiming to be from the army went and visited her on October 14th of 1947 and basically was just like well you know your husband is gone AWOL he's considered a deserter and by the way you and your daughter no longer have army benefits sorry to be the bearer of bad news and just kind of well, he, he offers her, he offers to take her to the PX, which she fucking yeah, denies. And then also the army denied this guy's existence. So I, I kind of don't think this guy was the person to be blamed. He was probably just like, shit, dude, I got to like, it's only right to tell these people a little something, but not enough. <clears throat> the wife didn't buy any of it, right? <clears throat> yeah. She like turned down the. Yeah. Yeah. She's like sitting there. She, she straight up says like. She's like, she's like, you knew my husband, right? Then you know that he couldn't have been a deserter. Yeah, I also want to point out about this lady's like fifties hairdo, but it's the nineties, oh, so it's like yeah. really big. It's like kind of a really, mixture of both. It's uh, yeah, it's it's very dramatic and <laughs> yeah, overdone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was not a good actress. Very pretty though. Very pretty. So so we fast forward a couple of years, and in a couple of years, I'm using that very loosely, uh, Carol grows up and moves to Oklahoma and becomes a private detective um, specializing in re- reuniting uh, children with family members, either through divorces or or whatnot. And, um, Which is super cool, I think. I think that that's really cool. Like, I mean, 
I mean, I mean, it's it's cool and not cool. It's cool in the sense that she tried finding him and she figured out, hey, I have kind of like a skill or a knack for doing this. So yeah, I'm going to help she other got, families do this. And she this. got pretty good. She said she found some boyfriends, some girlfriends, some brothers and sisters, even an old teacher. <laughs> she, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, through all of this, uh, she decides like she's not going to give up on her search to find her dad. So in 1979, through the uh, Freedom of Information Act, she gets her father's um, military records. And she notices that, you know, when he went missing, seeing that he was part of a top secret operation. And he was highly trained and he was like, yeah. you, you know. You'd think like this guy like knows like all these like secrets that, that we're working on. Let's go looking for him. And the army made no attempt to uh to go searching for him they're just like oh he's a wall whatever no investigation under the rug yeah she used the the term very uh, someone special is what she used yeah she said that she was somebody special and then um so she decides after this she's like fuck this i'm going to the fucking papers with this finally after all these years yeah so she she goes and posts an article in the arlington post um about her dad's disappearance and apparently it it rattled some cages at, at the CIA that she received a call three hours um, after after yeah three hours after the newspaper like hits the stand she gets a call uh, from this uh, gentleman who goes by the name of Archangel Archangel and- dude Archangel <laughs> that's the fucking coolest code name Archangel here he's an he's an X Men <laughs> that is an X Men X Man that is an X Man <laughs> that's how you say that. <laughs> So um, he, this this informant claims like that he knew Ray and that Ray had been investigating leaks about atomic energy that that there was basically a mole in the. I had to read that twice because uh, uh, sorry I had to watch that scene twice because like I, th- I was thinking there was actually like leaks of energy like I was like oh no sensitive leaks in atomic energy in the area not like yeah, yeah. L- like oh somebody leaked out all this atomic energy. Like there's a leak in the atomic like in a energy lake? take. Like in a lake or something. Yeah, like, yeah I don't know. They're going to get exposed and they're going to have mutants. <laughs> they're going to have an actual archangel. Yeah, then the archangel, maybe, may, uh, maybe, maybe we're misunderstanding it. <laughs> he, uh, he he goes on to tell her that, you know, that an attempt had made on her dad's life and that the CIA decided attempt that it been, would be best. An attempt had been made. He'd been, on her dad's life and that the CIA decided that the best way to go around this is to stage Ray's death and put him underground, if you will, is what kind of like what he quoted and said, like, your dad's still very much alive. Um, in fact, he lives in an area that uh, I can't remember. He's like, Wait, I got it right here. Three, three, three miles away. According to him. Oh no, they, they, they were hiding no, the him for a year that for... he lived in Washington DC yeah. for years. So yeah. So, 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 she, so he gave him these clues, a NATO country with high mountains Crystal clear lakes and a long time democracy, and that's yeah. all that he could say. And then he's the, like, "I gotta he get." He also off. says, "He also says his name is now Nelson." Oh yeah, he, oh, he says yeah, that's name, right. yeah, yeah. He gives him the name Nelson. That's it. And she doesn't know if it's a jokester or a prankster or whatever. It could have been. Yeah, totally could have been. You know what I want to point out though is like they said that the article appeared in the paper, and then three hours later, this archangel called, but they do the reenactment of at, the at archangel night. calling at night. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I was like, what is this three hours? I also want to point out the funny thing about the end of the story, which I think we're all going to giggle about, is that is like he, um, 
she and her son Ian are trying to find her dad to this day. And you're like, oh, cool, investigate. And you just see this little kid and he's like, hi, mountains. Uh, crystal clear. Like, you're like, fucking Ian, you're not helping. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> her and her son Ian are still trying to crack the case. And it's like some little <laughs> bitch kid. I'm sure oh, Ian's great. I'm that. sure Ian's great. I'm, I just thought it was, it was just misleading. <laughs> little bitch boy bitch boy Ian I'm sure he was a great kid that, that that's basically where this story ends off and there's kind of like a weird interesting update it's still considered unresolved but um after this aired they received 250 tips relating to the case what the two fuck of the, two of the tips that they received were men claiming to be former CIA members that gave similar information that wasn't released um in the reenactments and they couldn't get anything more out of that other than that. But it was really interesting that once the FBI got wind that two former CIA operatives called in to tip, they requested the transcript of those calls. Hmm. Whoa. That is interesting. And so Unsolved Mysteries gave them these calls because it's the fucking CIA and you can't really... That's That's kind of like a... What's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's just a big circle. Like, it doesn't matter. Unsolved Mysteries, like, the CIA is going to go over you, Unsolved Mysteries. And then there was also an update. Uh, the case was re-aired in June of 1990, and a tipster from New Hampshire contacted the telecenter, claiming that Ray was alive and in South America, and that he had claimed that he had seen a photo of Carol and uh, her parents um, on the man's, like, dresser room, like, dresser wall or mirror. Uh, at his place, uh, but they were never able to confirm this information. Sadly, Carol passed away in 2014. Aww. Oh man! <clears throat> so she was like a middle age. She was middle age when this aired. That was about like 30 years ago, but 28 years yeah. ago. Um, that's crazy. That like, oh yeah, some CIA operatives called in, but like, didn't lead to anything because. The CIA wanted to know what that's fucking they were telling unsolved mysteries. That's crazy. Hey, yeah, we need to know what's going on. Man, I wonder what do you guys think happened to him? You guys think he's still alive? Uh, well, obviously now he's probably not alive. But when oh it happened, yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Think that <laughs> I think he, I think he got swooped up. Like I think it, he got close to something, and the CIA or the FBI is like, you know, the best to do this is kind of put you in like the hardcore witness protection program. Just say you go AWOL, kick your family off the military benefits and, uh, that's fucked up. Hey, that's crazy. It's all for practice protecting uh national security, man. That's fucked up that they couldn't just like keep the family on. They could have just faked his death more. And kept her, uh, kept them on, like, you know, kept supporting them. It's kind of fucked up. Yeah, that is kind of messed up. Bummer. Uh, should we talk about Anyways. that update? Wait, did we already pass the Gary Goff update? No, I that's, think that's next. Right now. We get to see Gary Goff um, plead for Anne to turn herself in. Anne Sigmund. She's not turning herself Anne in. Anne Sigmund. So, I, I forget the name of the other guy, but. Um, she left him high and dry. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was it was obvious to us when we did the case that like this guy um, was a victim of circumstance. Like crazy Ann Sigmund got um, this dude Gary Goff to murder this this other guy, 
Right? That's what we kind of figured. Yep. <clears throat> she was like a manipulative crazy. She, no one's ever found Anne Sigmund. It's pretty wild. But uh, yeah, you can find that episode where we cover that. It's a pretty interesting case. I don't know what the name of that episode is, though. <laughs> I don't know which episode it is. It was a while ago. Was it season one? Yeah, for sure, right? So this next one's also interesting. Kevin Hughes that took place in Nashville. I'm actually drinking some Tennessee whiskey in honor of the man. I was uh, I was just in Nashville, and I wish I had... I should have gone and looked some of this stuff up. Yeah, you were you were there... I was just there last week Dude, when we recorded last. This yeah. one is this one's wild, man. the The death of this young, uh, this young dude in Nashville. Um, yeah, Nashville, country music capital of the world, and also just music, just music capital of the world. The mm. capital of power mullets and denim jackets. Dude. <laughs> and I do want to give the Unsolved Mysteries musical department some props for going hard on that like '90s country with the where the drums oh, all yeah. sound. Dang. The drums all sound like they're just being played in an auditorium, an empty, audi- echoey auditorium. <laughs> um, I loved it. Good country. Um, yeah, lots of dreamers, lots of people come to make their dreams come true to become country's music stars. Um, and we're going to be talking about 23-year-old Kevin Hughes, who wanted to get more on the business side of the music business, uh, more on the business side of the music industry. And... Um, um, he was a young man who moved to Nashville in 1986. He had left co- he left college and got a good job. He was the director of Cashbox Magazine's Top 100 list, so he would curate them curate this himself with uh, the information that a bunch of other radio stations would feed him, and he would uh, assemble yeah. this list very fairly. I, I realize that this guy's job is now done by a computer. <laughs> Like now nowadays. Oh, there's this, an this algorithm like, for this. Yeah, 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 there's like an algorithm. You don't pay somebody to do this anymore. The job's obsolete. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. But uh, um, yeah. So he he would uh uh he was everybody says he was good at his job. The the cute girl um who's working there uh says that uh, he was really religious and a loyal guy, really kind. He loved his job. Um and uh. Thursday, March 9th of 1986. He'd he'd been working there for almost a a year. Uh, He was working late, trying to get this list going, doing a great job. And uh, when his buddy Sammy Sadler, um, he had just put out an album, actually, Sammy Sadler. He's still around. He was an uh, up-and-coming singer-songwriter, and he was friends with Kevin. Had a great mullet. Oh, yeah. Dude. Oh, yeah. Sammy Sadler shows up to visit his buddy Kevin, and... um, uh, at this point it's getting late and, um, they decided they're going to go eat. He's like, I could finish this list. I could finish this tomorrow. So they left, uh, around eight 30 to go get dinner at a local place right by <clears throat> after dinner. They stopped at evergreen records, which I guess is a record store that Kevin worked at, or maybe another record company. I'm not sure. Um, so he could call his parents and, uh, they said they're there for about what, like 10 minutes. Sammy's on the phone with his parents and he hears, uh, uh, they hear like a rattle or a jangle at the door. And, uh, so Kevin runs and goes and checks and, um, um, Kevin looks outside and he's, he's thinks he saw a black guy or somebody leave, but he said he's really too dark to tell. It's like, yeah. All right, Kevin, we get it. Just kidding. <laughs> um, he said it was just too, it was, it was just more like a shape. It was dark and it was, the guy was walking away by the time he, he came outside. So um, they walked back to the car, but they were being really cautious. They, they immediately wanted to get out of there. And uh, Sammy even remembers 
looking behind them and just, you know, they're just like, they've had an eerie feeling, but they didn't see shit. They didn't see anybody. So by the time that he slides into Kevin's car, the passenger seat, there's a guy right next to him on the sidewalk. Yep. And bang. Shoot he shoots Sadler. He shoots Sadler in the shoulder. Um, and then, uh, I guess, and then Kevin tries to run away, right? And he chases him down. And this is where we want to talk about a major discrepancy in the, in the reenactment oh, here. Yeah. Um, I didn't catch this. Or maybe, Honestly, or maybe I watched a, this. a part of the plot that was just a little undescribed, like they filmed it. I, I, yeah, I watched this two or three times, and I, I didn't notice it until you sent – you took a video and you sent it to us in the group, group text, and I noticed. Yeah. In, in this reenactment – um, the guy's chasing down Kevin, Kevin Hughes, and um, and he they pass by this red car, and you clearly see this guy in the front seat of this red car, just like look or like kind of do like a what like a like a deer in headlights look, and then kind of duck down, right? Yeah, he just goes <laughs> smart <"Whoa."> man, <laughs> and it, and you can still see him like really bad because it's a shot from up, you know, it's a shot from like a kind of bird's eye view, not not maybe not totally, but. You know, it's from a very high angle, so you can definitely see this guy. It's even more noticeable. And I, 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 the first time I saw that, it just kind of skipped my mind. I was like, oh, they'll probably explain that there was, like, a witness. No. And I was like, no, that no. doesn't make any sense, <laughs> Completely does it? unexplained. Yeah. Um, but anyways, back to poor Kevin's last minutes. Yeah, he gets shot. Well, he, they sh- he gets shot three times. Um, they indicate for sure that I think he was shot twice in the head yeah twice in the head and once in the back and they surmise that they whoever shot him definitely wanted him dead because why would they shoot sadler once in the shoulder and then run after kevin and then shoot him twice in the head that's rough right so this is another kind of motiveless weird they just can't figure out why this would be going on (laughs) like all all uh, all of their theories that they present are like pretty bogus don't you think yeah definitely sort of i mean one of them like they go on like they at first they thought it was a robbery but nothing was taken yeah even after he killed kevin there was nothing taken from his pocket so that's dumb so they kind of surmised it as possibly a, a hit job that either uh kevin pissed off someone in the music industry like telling uh, a recording artist like i can get you on the top 100 and then not doing it or something like that Some chart manipulation like that. they say it like it's a thing uh it actually was back in the 70s and 80s yeah like, I, I guess was, yeah the, it was a huge huge thing he was uh not you know they think th- they they also think that maybe he didn't want to manipulate the charts and maybe somebody was strong ar- strong arming him to do so or that he was doing it and somebody was pissed about it, like what Dan said. Uh. Um, and and then the investigator's like, yeah, but they could just fire him. Like They're like, we've determined his job's not that important to kill him over. <laughs> and I guess like... It just depends. Yeah. It just depends on... And the, I, I, if, yeah, yeah. So not a robbery. Not The chart, the chart manipulation's weird. Um, um, they, they even have the his record executive, his boss, who's like, who's like saying how Kevin was a... A, a really good kid. Um, he was really honest and stuff like that at doing his job. <clears throat> so they, they also give us this weird theory at the end that Chuck Dixon gives about maybe an angry performer was like, get me on there. And he's like, that's not how it works. And he's like, and then he says, he says, um, he said, that could be my only theory of how it could do with music. And I don't believe it does have anything to do with music. 
and then you just see his stern face. And then, um, and then we hear "Tell It Like It Is." Sammy's sitting in the recording studio, recording his rendition of "Tell It Like It Is." Yeah, <laughs> and it sounds pretty good. And um, Sammy Sadler saying that he actually—it's this is pretty. This is actually really shitty. Uh, he's still a singer, but he actually can't play guitar ever since um, he got shot because it really, really messed up his arm. Um, yeah. Well, it severed a it severed an artery. That's yeah, that Ooh. sucks, man. That's so sad. You can't play the guitar man. anymore. So we have two severed arteries, yeah, this, two random shootings, in this two carols, and two patties. Yeah. Um, the only wow. thing left at the scene was a, a baseball cap that said "World War II Vet" and "Damn Proud of It." Um, and that was uh, that was the original case as presented by unsolved mysteries so the fucking sick crazy twisted update of this case really wild in walks richard d'antonio former director of the top 100 killed kevin yeah but why well (laughs) um they figured out that he had been accepting uh bribes to play songs higher on the list back in the day, and Kevin had found out about it. Chuck Dixon, the record producer guy who wait, sang- wait, 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 back up, back okay. up. The, d- this D'Antonio guy, yes, yeah, he used he, to do that. He pretty and much Kevin had, found out about it. Yeah, he had Kevin's old job, and he found out that he had been kind of cooking the books. <sighs> you know, he'd kind of been putting people, and basically, um, yeah, uh, apparently Kevin found out about it, and. Um, um, Chuck Dixon, you know, the guy who was saying how trustworthy and how good, uh, Kevin was at his job. He, he was a record yeah. promoter for Cashbox. He was the mastermind behind the whole fucking thing. He was no the mastermind way. behind the scheme. What? So, okay. Just to get this straight. So just to get this right, the guy yeah. talking about how trustworthy Kevin was. Yeah. And said it had nothing to do with the music business and looked us dead in the eyes. Planned a scheme before Kevin got there. That did, did Kevin ruin this scheme, or I don't Basically, understand what happened. That, yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Is that he Kevin wasn't down to continue up, continue with the scheme, and that he wanted to run it fairly. So authorities believe Dixon had D'Antonio kill Kevin in order to keep him quiet. In fact, a witness says yeah, they, they, they had a, the best witness, dude. He knew everything. This one guy just put it all together. This one dude basically stated that Dixon, he even heard Dixon say that Kevin would be handled or gone. Handled or we got to get him handled or gone. Who was this witness? Yeah, they don't, they don't reveal his name, but there's, but he, but that's not where his story ends. Um, um, he, he, he pretty much, he pretty much said that they were not going to let Kevin reveal their scheme. And, uh, also, um, D'Antonio had matched the witness descriptions and also, um, he had a, a, a weird side gate, apparently. Like, this guy walked weird, and this matched up with D'Antonio having back problems at that time in the way he would have walked. Cat hair that was found in this mysterious hat matched a black cat that D'Antonio had um, and that he what? owned at that time. Um, so this same witness also says that he sold him a thirty-eight and bullets, and the, the same bullets that were used in the murder. 
This witness, Do they say who, which witness this was? Wait, like, was what? this no. the same witness? Do you think? I, I think they alluded that it was right. The way it they kind of alluded, it just says also a witness told police that he had sold a thirty-eight pistol to D'Antonio shortly before the murder. Yeah. The so witness also gave D'Antonio ammunition that was for the same type of weapon. The witness <laughs> also told police that on the day of the murder, D'Antonio had test-fired the weapon into the witness's backyard. <laughs> Investigators recovered bullets from the backyard and were able to determine one of them matched the gun that was used to kill Kevin. Yeah, the what bullet the, the bullet that they found was like, oh yeah, this was definitely the same. Yeah, yeah. So The witness, guy- along with D'Antonio's wife, uh, were told by D'Antonio to lie about his whereabouts to create an alibi. Yeah, exactly. So, um, D'Antonio and his wife, um, <laughs> yeah, so you do what you do. And this guy came, this fucking witness apparently came forward uh, a lot, a lot. He, w- he wait. let's just say he waited a while. It wasn't until September of 2003 that he, um, that, uh, D'Antonio was convicted of first, first degree murder and sentenced to life. I also want to did say, did they say that, why he waited so long? No, but no. I also do want to say that, um, um, uh, Chuck Dixon probably he would have definitely been thrown in the slammer if he didn't die um, before this uh, any of this came to light. He, they said that he would they somehow figured out that he was definitely the mastermind behind this whole chart, you know, diluting the chart with the money, you know. Trying, That's fucking weird. Yeah, it's wild. Um, and uh, he died in the clank. Richard D'Antonio died in the clank in 2014. He got convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life. I'm so glad I didn't look that up. That is crazy. It's wild, right? Just how the craziest part... I'm glad part, you told me. The craziest part to me is how Chuck Dixon was the mastermind. Right. I, I, I just think it's I think it's crazy how he just looks in the camera and says, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe some artist was mad at him. And you know what? I don't think it had anything to do with music at all. And he just looks in the camera and he's like, it totally did. It totally did. Just to get this straight, okay... So Chuck Dixon was a man that they got to interview on behalf of, a, I guess, a character witness on Kevin, saying how he was such a stand-up guy, Yeah. and this guy was the mastermind behind a chart fraud scheme. He was lying his teeth that, off to America, Eli. He was letting ke- us all that, that down. Kevin, <laughs> that Kevin apparently messed up, so they hired a man. By the name of what was his name again? They Richard didn't hire man. It was the old guy that oh, was that's charged. Right. He was of... involved in it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, so sorry. The basically the guy that had Kevin's old job went and found Kevin out, shot him. But what's crazy to me is Sattler makes it seem like everything was random, right? So was this guy following them all night? He would I have mean... to, right? He must have probably, yeah. He, or I mean, he must what, have followed. Dude, him. He probably followed him from the restaurant. What if, what if, what if Sadler was in on it too, and he just they they just never, they just never well, caught him. I, I did send you guys that video where he's just like he's like they finally found the person who shot me and killed my friend, and here's a song. And George Strait, there's a song called "Murder on Music Row." It's made famous by George Strait, and it's about this shooting. Wow. Just I'm just the, the, the conspiracy theorist in me is saying, what if <laughs> Kevin was a part of it? He's all, just shoot me in the shoulder and then Dude. go kill this guy and I'll make lots of money off of it and make a song. 
Uh, I can't play the guitar anymore. Uh, I don't s- want to think that about Mr. Shadler, but I'm just saying it's possible. Well, no, Sammy, I, I read. I was actually read an article about him after everybody was convicted. He talked about how he he started making music again around like like right right when uh, pro- probably right when they actually found out what happened. He he kind of couldn't move forward with his career, and he said he was like. You know, he he wasn't trustworthy of people, and I don't know. He said uh, it was an interesting little read. So maybe he wasn't, but I just so like to this think, really kind of what if he made it seem like it stunted his career, and he, you know, it kind of messed mm. him up a little bit. Um, but he does he did release a couple albums. He released an album in like 2012, I think, and he's got a cool voice. He's got like a country voice. He's it's real country. It's nice. <clears throat> um, yeah, but yeah, that's uh, the murder on Music Row. It's Pretty wild tale, indeed. Last but not least, we have a sweet little uh, cherry on the top of this uh, murder-filled episode. Um, this is a lost loves, and we're talking about Patty English, and she just she also wants to find her dad, and uh, um, hopefully she'll have a little bit more luck than uh, old Carol with Nelson. Um, but anyways, uh, this story. Um, it's got its ups and downs for sure. It's a pretty, it's it's a pretty uh, tragic tale. But Patty's mom um, brought her home on Christmas 1958, and uh, she was uh, uh, her mom was 17, and her dad was a 21 year old named Robert Wilson Miller. They don't mention the mom's name. Um, she was uh, premature. She was only in the womb for six months, and she was partially deaf because uh, she was premature. And the um, um, when they came home that later that day, the dad brought um, the dad brought a crib and presents for the baby, and um, he was you know he seemed like a sweet guy I guess and uh, but unfortunately the marriage did not work out and they divorced within weeks of her birth. She remarried a total d bag, which Ugh. we'll get into in a little bit, and um, Patty was none the wiser. She didn't know that that wasn't her dad. Until she was a little kid, she was about five, when a strange man came to the door, and uh, she was trying her best to read lips, and she could kind of vaguely make out, like, the guy saying, like, I have a right to see her, she's my daughter, and the man, um, the stepdad actually let her in for a little bit, and um, in the reenactment, she, he literally tells her, hey, I don't, this might be confusing, little girl, but I'm your dad, it's very confusing. Yeah, I I like, I like on the reenactment, also, the, the dad comes over, and the stepdad's like, nope. Yeah. Like you just, he's like, can I see it? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. And then she says that the dad denies it. Yeah. He's lying. He's definitely not your father. No way. I'm your father. So one day when she was in middle school, junior high is what they say. Um, the, the school let her dad in and he was with his wife. Yeah. His his new wife. And he sat down and said, do you remember me? Um, and, um, she didn't recognize him. She was confused and, he said, uh, and she said that he he was really nice, and she he was, and that he was crying, and that the lady was uh, the lady was comforting her, and um, and then the the teacher she said she finally realized who it was that it was her dad, or the in the reenactment the teacher tells her like, hey that was your real dad, like hey maybe that would have been good before, uh, yeah we had this whole interaction, <laughs> but I don't know that's the reenactment, so I don't know. Like, how just f- let me just let me hug this strange man and let him. <laughs> Let him tell me funny things. Yeah, I I don't know, uh, if, you know, I don't know how um, accurate that reenactment is, but and this is the part that bummed me out. Yeah, she runs out, r- figuring out that that was her dad, and she runs outside, and the teacher chases her, and um, when she gets to the parking lot, they're already driving away. They don't even see her in the parking lot, 
And she starts uh, crying. She was really sad. She just said she wants yeah. her dad. And it's, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, she, she realized that he cared. She's like, I didn't grow up in a house where I was, I felt loved and I could tell that this guy cared about me. Yeah. Her, her mother and stepfather are apparently not very huggy, not very affectionate towards her, which is really sad, especially when you're a kid. You re- I mean, you, t- you definitely need that as a kid for sure. So she didn't have a very happy childhood. Um, um, there's also, they also show a picture of her um, and there's, it's so creepy. I've got to put it on the Instagram. <laughs> yeah, you pointed this. You pointed this out. The creepy man behind her. Yeah, I, maybe it's her stepdad. But there's this picture of her, and she's maybe like I don't know, twelve or thirteen. You know, like adolescent. And there's and there's a, a a man's face in the window behind her, and it's really really unsettling. If, if that kind of exp- and with with what the episode is, that kind of exp- the it kind of makes sense. It kind of that might sum up the relationship she had with this kind of shitty with his stepdad. Um. So she ran away. This was shitty. Her childhood was not going good. She ended up in a shelter, and uh, a social worker actually was uh, kind of uh, interested in her case and literally called every Robert Miller in town until he found her father, or she, until she found her father. I don't know. They don't specify. Um, And uh, they called everyone in town. So So she pretty much gave the story to her dad about how crappy her stepdad and mom is and how life with him is not happy. And he says he's going to get a lawyer and he's going to, he wants to figure it out. But, um, in the meantime, they do send her back with her mom and shitty stepdad. And he, he comes one day to the house and, uh, she says she remembers her stepdad going out there with a hammer and that she was just like, please don't go away. Like she was really scared. And that there was like some words watching him through the, through the, the door. Yeah. And she says there was some words. The storm door. There were some words that we didn't really understand, and they, uh, and then he left, and she never saw her dad again, and she's thinking maybe it's because they maybe got like a restraining order or some legal action was taken, um, but she was very sad. She said she ran upstairs and prayed that her dad would come back, and it's really really heartbreaking. Oh mm. man, for years. Yeah. She, so she raises a family of her own. She marries another deaf gentleman, James, um, and. Uh, they have two kids who are not deaf at all, and uh, she raises a really happy family. I love how Robert Stack made it a point to be like, and the two kids hearing is just fine. Yeah, yeah. Let let America know that when two deaf people mm-hmm. make kids, they don't well, they don't come out deaf. They said they her deafness out. was due to her being a premature baby, so it wouldn't have any. It might be different. I don't know, but I do. That is, I, I think that is really nice that she, you know, she found she found someone and she raised. Uh, Normal family, it's cool. Raised um, a normal family, and it says that she, they, they grew up with in a loving family. So I guess she raised her kids the way that she wished she had been raised. You know. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, so minutes after the broadcast, the telecenter gets a call from Patty's half sister, also named Patty. Isn't that weird? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, two Patties in one case, guys. Oh yeah, this is the two Patties. I'm sorry, and this they're is, sisters. Yeah, two Patties in one case. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, 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 uh, two days later, two days later they met for the first time and she's talking about how she was so excited when she was, when she met her dad and it was, it was mad touching y'all. It was lit. That shit was fucking yeah. emotional y'all. Um, yeah, you're right. It was, it was a happy ending, but man, it was really, it was honestly really hard to get through the episode and like not, ah, uh, man, I just, I get so upset when kids are affected by like divorce and. And, or uh, just like general just shittiness, like sh- shit. Yeah, like just they end up with like a shitty 
stepdad or stepmom and or just like basic because the kid can't decency. do anything. You're just like when when people have kids and they lack basic human decency. It's yeah, it's pretty fucking obnoxious. It's pretty fucking annoying, and we do see it a lot, especially on unsolved mysteries because we're talking about <laughs> true yeah. crime and the lot and the junk and the stuff and the stuff. But yeah, um, it's a happy ending. Um, the dad says that he he's, he's like it's a lot of time loss. There's a lot of catching up to do, and he's seems pretty optimistic. Yeah, and the the reenactment of them. Well, I don't know if it's a reenactment, but when it shows them like getting together for the first time, and he he yeah. tells her how much he's like, I love I love you, Patty. I've always loved you. Uh yeah, dude, it's super. It, it's pretty heartwarming. And then you get to see, um, the the dad with her half sister's family and her family and everyone hanging out. And yeah, it's nice. It's good stuff. It's a crazy case. So so what do we got? We got we got lots of like random. Shooting. We have two random shootings, two patties, two carols. Let's call the whole thing off. Boop. <laughs> Boop. All right. That's my show tunes joke of the. Episode. So uh, tell us what's coming up next week, Eli. Oh yeah. yeah. Next go. week we got some fun stuff. Uh, crop circles. We're talking about crop circles, people. Bring your alien uh, tin foil hats. Uh, we also got a case where two friends... This one tripped me out a little bit, guys. I'm not going to lie. Don't mind me just taking a tinfoil hat here. Oh, oh you're good. <laughs> so uh, two friends disappear under the same bizarre circumstances. But that's not just the only bizarre thing. Coincidentally, it was foretold in a novel that one was writing about the other. That's so definitely, weird. Definitely can't wait to get into that case. Casual novel writing friends? Right. So definitely uh, four. Is it? Are, are the friends' names Stephen King and Dean Koontz? <laughs> I don't know who they are. They didn't say. You're just going to have to tune in next week, David, and find okay. out. Okay. We're also going to be talking about a case about four men who were stalked and driven off the road. It's that same pickup again. Yeah, that same. Is it a black, black pickup? Black pickup bastard. Uh, we're also going to be talking about a loving uh, case about a woman who was reunited with her long lost foster parents. Okay, so we got another Lost Loves to top, top everything yeah. out. Yeah, uh, interesting. So we got so Aliens, Lost here. Loves, and Murder. That sounds like a good time, man. I think uh, probably a Wanted case in there, too. Wanted or two. That's good. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, all right, join us next week, man. Um, you guys have a good week. Also, uh, we're, on, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We have lots of fun on Instagram. Um, you can reach us all specifically. I'm at Davey Howe, D-A-V-Y-H-O-W. Road underscore Dan and Big Bad Vinyl Dad. Hey, also thanks for those reviews, guys. We got some uh, cool reviews. Yeah, keep them coming. Rate and review. Rate and review. Probably written by somebody's mom. <laughs> Subscribe. Tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Tell your ma. Tell your tell your pa. Take take us out, Dan. For every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is listening. Perhaps it's you. Good night.